I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10 to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's going on, Antiheroes? I got a different podcast format that I'm testing out here that I like to call the BLUFF format. That's an acronym. Bottom line up front. We're going to get into some science here since I'm the psychedelic science war storyteller. And we're going to talk about a study on ketamine treatment for alcohol use disorders. I've got my good friend, Dr. Sarah bliss back on the podcast here. She's the brain-derived neurotrophic factor of public health, as you heard on her recent Q5 podcast episode. And we're going to dig into this study in just a minute, right after I apologize for wearing the Rebel Sailor Brewing Company t-shirt on a podcast episode where we're going to talk about ketamine treatment for alcohol use disorder. I've got no judgment for people that drink or anything like that. This was just was what was clean and on top of my laundry basket when I was trying to be not shirtless while we record this podcast. My friend Steve up in upstate New York owns the brewing company and I feel like he made the shirt with me in mind. On the back, it has an Icelandic proverb as a quote that says, don't trust the man who doesn't drink. And since I don't drink, I felt like he made the shirt for me, whether he knew it or not. So I bought it and I'm proud of him for running his own brewing company. And I'm proud to wear the shirt, even though, like I said, I don't drink. And I I should apologize for sending mixed messages until now that I've clarified that. And the messages are, I hope, no longer mixed. Now that I got all of that out of the way, let's get to the bottom line up front on this study. What do you say, Sarah? I think it's great. I think it's interesting that you don't drink and you have done some of your own personal ketamine therapy. So, I mean. Yeah. And it was helpful, right? I won't go into that whole story because we're trying to get to the bottom line up front and it's a much higher line than the bottom line. But yeah, it was super helpful for me. N of one. What's the N on this bad boy? (laughs) I was trying to find like rock bottom jokes to bring along with all of this, but I'll save it. So the bottom line up front is that Ketamine therapy is effective for alcohol use disorder, and it is most effective when it is used in conjunction with group therapy, which was very interesting, group psychotherapy by trained clinicians. So we can stop now. Do you want to hit stop? We're good? Yeah, that's the bottom line, and it's up front-ish. Give me some lines above the bottom line to help people get some context for what the hell we're talking about here. I figured I'd get there. 
Okay. So actually what I really love, and we'll provide the link for the review article, I guess, in your show notes. This is a really easy paper to read. For those of you that don't usually sit down and read peer-reviewed journal articles, they can be really tedious and difficult to get through. You know, if you read the abstract a couple times, you can kind of glean what you need. And then if you want to dig into all the methods and different things, what I love about a review, and I love that you're doing this, is you can just chuck a little paper into the collective soup of literature that exists. And that's just one thing. And then there's another one that happened. And then somebody else did something similar, but not totally the same. Then they publish and then someone else does that. And then somebody comes along several years later and just collects all those little droplets of soup up and then they do a review article on them which is really exciting. I wrote most of my dissertation using review articles because I would get to the articles I needed to read individually using them. So they did. And that tends to be stronger evidence for people out there that, you know, like the sparks that are coming out are meaningful, but if you put them all together, then it's kind of, you know, we didn't start the fire, but it's been burning since the world's been turning. That's what a systematic review is musically speaking. Oh my gosh. Nice. Mr. Joel. (laughs) Speaking of, Billy is ending his tour in New York next year, so get there. Okay, so actually what I appreciate is that this group took like over 200 articles on this subject very loosely. They narrowed it down and did their final analysis on only 11 studies, and they did a really lovely detailed analysis that we don't have to get into the weeds of. But, you know, there are three different countries here, the UK and Russia, they were on using ketamine in conjunction with therapy for people with alcohol use disorder, which is newly defined. And what they basically found was that it was effective. Every study that they showed was effective. Now, the ones, what interested me when I was reading the methods, I was like, okay, so did you check out all the studies that didn't show that it was effective? But no, they did a really nice job of, they had sort of seven different biases that they were looking to toss out the window and studies that were just not going to be really effective for, for the specific thing that they were looking at. Anything that was, for example, looking at alcohol use disorder and some other comorbidity together, or like three things, they wanted to really make it very, very specific. And so they did. And basically what they found, as I said before, was that there is a statistical significant decrease in a number of different things. But the the big ones were like days of abstinence. I wrote it down here so I could look. It was a reduction in heavy drinking days, an increased proportion of post-infusion abstinence days, and then lowered the probability of alcohol use just in general. So those are three big outcomes. Like when we talk health outcomes in public health, often... We look at process metrics as these sort of ways to like kind of get to the outcome, but these are true health outcomes. So I I really appreciated that they, they honed in right on what they were trying to look for in these studies. And what they found was like, that was that ketamine infusion did have a drop, but the papers that did group therapy showed the most significant and longest sustained reduction. And so the bonfire conclusion statement is really just that this is something to look into in a big way. Meaning the recommendation of the reviewers was that we need really large clinical, maybe RCT trials to look at this. I would argue that there are a lot of clinics doing this right now in the States, and we probably could get a lot more information from those and publish on it. If they're not doing it in a peer-reviewed manner, we could add to the literature in that manner. But you know, we also can push our you know, the NIH and some other SAMHSA and some other groups to start doing like big RCTs on this so that the community will 
engage with the data in a more rigorous manner. So that's my piece on it. Strategic navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. Yeah, so sounds like ketamine works for alcohol use disorder. Ketamine plus therapy works significantly better. And then ketamine plus group therapy moves the needle even further. What do you think is going on behind that? Well, considering that I don't have a lot of experience with any of these types of environments, what I can speculate like in the neuroscience world is that, well, as like a, a reminder, ketamine works, they call it like a dirty drug. It works on a lot of different things in the brain, but it hits the dirty, energy. not like somebody stepped on it, like the street <laughs> dirty drug. Like it has multiple mechanisms of action and which one is the prime mover. We have not yet been able to discern. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But we know it slams the NMDA receptor as an antagonist. So it can, in that sense, drop glutamate activity. However, depending on the dose, it can actually do the opposite. So it's complicated to tease out the mechanism, but what were you saying earlier? If you've got a bunch of people whose NMDA receptors are getting hit with ketamine all together in the same room and they're accessing. <laughs> yeah. There's a collective element, right? Yeah. Some of the underlying issues that led to the, I mean, the alcohol use disorder is the symptom, not the problem. I hope we can agree on that. And so right. the reason this works is because people are finally addressing the underlying causes of the reason they're trying to numb with alcohol. And so it seems to work really well in group therapy because they're able to be more empathetic. They're able to access some of those issues and talk through them in a way that is effective. And there is some evidence that it causes an actual physiological rewiring, not rewiring, but strengthening of circuits that were decreased um, in the past over the course of, say, many years of alcohol use. It can dull certain circuits and they're actually being re-strengthened during these kinds of sessions. And brain imaging is showing some of that stuff too. What do you think? Let me see if I can run through what I think about it. So one of the interesting targets in the array of targets that ketamine has in the central nervous system is the N-methyl-D aspartate receptor, which affects glutamate to GABA ratios, which in the brain, glutamate is like the gas pedal and GABA is like the brake pedal. And the balance between the activity of those two neurotransmitters has a lot to do with who you are and how you function in the world on a regular basis. And then there's this dosage-dependent way that ketamine can affect the balance, the glutamate to GABA ratio is what they call it, because of its affinity with the NMDA receptor. And NMDA receptors are located both presynaptically and postsynaptically on the and on the GABAergic interneuron. Now we're getting into like stuff that's above my pay grade, but more on your level. But to break that down for people more clearly, like at a real low dose, this can be a pain relieving medicine because of how the binding affinity on NMDA receptors works there. And it's also very anti-inflammatory. At very high doses, it binds to NMDA receptors both presynaptically, postsynaptically, and on the interneuron. So it essentially turns off the gas and the brake, puts 
puts you to sleep so somebody can take out your inflamed appendix safely and then stitch you back up and let you go on your merry way. And at these sub-anesthetic doses that we look at in psychiatry for treating trauma and anxiety and depression, which are, again, all symptoms rather than the cause of what's going on as far as we can tell, there's this way in which it can affect burst firing of the neurons so that essentially, you know, glutamate and GABA get corrected rather than turned off or just modulated. And that upregulates brain-derived neurotrophic factor in mTOR complex one in the postsynaptic neuron. And that that's what's creating sort of a reversal of some of the neurotoxic damage that's been done by drinking for a really long time or, or alcohol use disorder. That's one of the proposed mechanisms as I understand it, but feel free to correct if I mislabeled any of that. Nope. Sounds good to me. If we have one NMDA receptor is like interesting, right? So that's the focus of some of that study, but they're spread all throughout the brain and particularly in the dorsal raphe nucleus, which is like the biggest serotonergic neuronal body in the brain. So it has some effects downstream on what's going on with serotonin. And that's just looking at inside of one person's head. If we start to put a whole bunch of heads together to answer your initial question, rather than just focusing on receptor level sort of activity, but we start to get into group therapy where all of these receptors are being modulated together in the room at the same time, it seems to somehow, some way, amplify the effectiveness of the initial intervention that was, you know, maybe just targeting a receptor, but now we're targeting not just the receptor, not just the brain, not just the person, but a whole community, like a public health sort of situation. Is that what you were asking about? It is. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see a study to take that like a step further to look at like a group therapy session and have imaging happening at the same time in some way, shape or form, which is tricky to do. You can't really do an fMRI with a bunch of people in a room together. Maybe you can. But that would be well, kind of tricky. You know who <laughs> we could ask? Dr. Matthew Wall is somebody that I interviewed on the podcast earlier. That episode will have already come out by the time this one's been published. But he's kind of the, the god of magic magnets over in the UK, figuring out how to do fMRIs for a whole bunch of crazy studies. So maybe I'll put the two of you in touch and you guys can figure out Gosh, how to do that. That would be such a cool study to look at some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he was an investigator alongside of like David Nutt and Robin Carhart Harris on some of the early MDMA and psilocybin trials over in the UK. And he'd love something like this, I think. Yeah, they're doing a great Maybe job. Maybe I shouldn't talk about him in public like this, but I'm gonna. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> You're so irreverent. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that I go straight to the policy world. I guess I'm like, okay, obviously it works. How do we get this out? To, you know, there are 16 million Americans with AUD. Just Americans, you know, like 10% of our population and rising are dealing with this issue. And so how do we get it so that it is mainstream, accessible, so there are clinicians that are trained to do it so that we have the dosing right, so it's safe. All those things are things that I'm starting to think about and how to push these issues. Because as soon as you hang out on Capitol Hill and start trying to like wave your ketamine flag around, you get a lot of concerned folks with a lot of semi-good reasons to barrier and block and all those things. But I'm really interested in whether or not we're going to be able to do maybe even a multi-country huge trial on this would be pretty cool. Like that would be really neat to look at. But I will say, and even as as long, you know, if you look up on the news, you know, like there are 
a trickle of news articles on this or that ketamine clinic for AUD. Like even 10 months ago, there was something on Good Morning America, I think about it. Like it is at least becoming more mainstream and popular and people are starting to believe that it's actually effective. And in particular for folks that have tried everything else and suddenly they're experiencing a world in which they can function without being debilitated by this particular issue. And then there, as you said, lots of others, anxiety, treatment, resistant depression, that sort of thing. So, yeah, solid. That's a solid outlook going forward from this study where we should go next. Any final thoughts? No, you talk about mTOR on almost every podcast. Is that a little thing you just have to check in? Yeah, they're they're actually the only sponsor that I have right now is the mammalian target of rapamycin. I managed to contact that receptor complex or whatever, and they were willing to give me a dollar. So now I talk about them on every podcast. Awesome. Okay. I really hope we continue <laughs> that, that trend. It's pretty great. <laughs> the lay population is now going to understand mTOR in a way they never have before. <laughs> we'll give it a whirl. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on here. We'll do another one of these again real soon. Oh, yeah. We love science. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah. Yeah, likewise. Doc out.